All right. Here we are on the Abstract Podcast with Mr. Dan Tyre from HubSpot with the changes going on in the world. Uh, we couldn't think of anybody better to have as our first guest than Mr. Hold Dan Hold on Tyre. a second. Are you equating me with the global pandemic? That doesn't no, sound no, like a good, warm no, introduction for one of your podcast guests there, Greg. It's, it's a perfect introduction because you were the first remote employee at HubSpot. And so Ooh. any words of advice, any wisdom... One smart cookie. You see how we weave that in right there? I threw him a curveball, and right there in the first 30 seconds, Greg's now, no, 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 this is my podcast. (laughs) You answer the questions. I ask the question. That was awesome, my friend. That's why I have a career in sales, Dan, right? Overcoming those objections Uh, right off the bat. All right, so first of all, I'm a a big Greg fan. You and I have known each other for how long? Uh, Four years now, I think. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, you were one of the um, like uh, powerhouses in the Phoenix entrepreneurial ecosystem, right? A smart, um, like thoughtful, like customer focused. And I've told you many times, I'm all in to help you because you have the right philosophy and attitude of helping other folks, which is what this podcast is all about, right? Absolutely. I love it. And thank you for uh, setting the bar really high. I hope I don't miss that bar. You so um, I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, what we'll do, Dan, I want to get a quick introduction from you, sir, uh, yeah. kind of who you are, yeah. what, what you do every day, and uh, then we'll kick off some of, uh, some of the topics of discussion today. Nice. All right. My name is Dan Tyre. I'm employee number six at HubSpot. Over the last 42 years, I have uh, done five startups. I've been married for 30 years, uh, 29 great ones and one mediocre one, which my beautiful wife, Amy, You'll know Amy is, uh, she's the smart person in our relationship. Uh, She's kind, she's thoughtful, she's a yoga instructor, she's spiritual. She does a lot of podcasts as well. She's inspiring to me, right? Uh, I got two beautiful kids, Eli and Sally. And um, like I'm an entrepreneurial junkie. I love scaling companies, right? My first startup, probably before you were born, went from $3 million to a billion and a half dollars back when a billion dollars was real money. It was called Business Land. And in fact, I posted a blog article this week and like a handful of people from Business Land like uh, jumped on the blog article. They're like, oh my gosh, Tyre, you're still alive. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you're still yelling at people. I'm like, yeah. And they're yeah. like, oh man, remember Business Land. And uh, I remember it very, very fondly because it was an unbelievably dynamic company that grew from like zero to $1.4 billion in nine years, right? And amazing, had a tremendous impact on my my entrepreneur career. My second startup was an agency that I started in my dining room. I was um, founder and CEO, grew it to $30 million, uh, six locations across North America, about 260 people, and uh, was built on a technology called Lotus Notes. I don't know if your audience would know Lotus Notes. I know you did, but Probably uh, my, third, my third um, startup went bankrupt. I was just talking about that earlier today, which was very, very hard. I couldn't sleep at night. It like tore me up, um, but I didn't have a business plan and a contingency. So it taught me business planning and it caught, taught me humility right? Because I'm a pretty like, um, I don't know, egocentric kind of guy. And when you have to put a company into receivership, you grow up really quick. My fourth startup got bought out by Microsoft. Oh my goodness. And the vice president of sales there was my good friend and um, the co-founder of HubSpot, Brian Halligan. And so when he started HubSpot, he called me. 
He's like, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm president of a software company. He goes, I need help. I'm like, yeah, well, what do you need? He's like, uh, I want to hire you. I'm like, no, I already got a job. He's like, you can be the fourth employee at HubSpot. And I'm like, what is HubSpot? And he explained it to me. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, but no. And then uh, six months later, he called me back again and said, okay, software is not quite where we need it to be. You're the greatest salesperson I've ever met. I want you to join. And so uh, I joined working for Mark Roberts, who had they, they had hired in the interim. Uh, Mark is the VP of sales and the author of the uh, sales acceleration formula. I worked for Mark, I think it was 29 at the time. I think I was 47. And people keep, kept saying, is that weird? I'm like, no, no, no. This guy is the smartest, the most empathetic, the, like, uh, the greatest vice president of sales I had ever worked for. And I worked for some really good ones. And he and I had a great seven-year relationship. We helped uh, grow HubSpot from zero to $100 million. Now HubSpot is about $700 million. Right. And um, 13 years later, um, uh, still employing number six at HubSpot, doing great things in the industry. That's awesome. So you've been part of many hyper growth businesses. Uh, I don't think there's too many people in the world that have had the success you've had. What was your inspiration to go into the world of software and technology? Yeah, it was blind luck. Right. When I was in college, I sold books door to door. Um, like to work my way through college. I sold dictionaries. I know I sound like your grandfather, but in Portland, Oregon and Washington state, right? And it was amazing because I went to school in upstate New York and uh, the company, Southwestern company does it on purpose. They send you all the way across the country because 90% of the people like fall out of the program and they figure if you're on the other side of the country, you'll think twice before you blow off all that hard work. Uh, so I had been a salesperson and a fairly successful one. I knew the, the basics of, um, of selling, but I never took a computer class. Like back then, it was like Fortran and COBOL. I know people are rolling their eyes, but I never took a computer <laughs> class because I wasn't that smart. And then uh, in 1982, there were 16 computer reseller companies uh, like retail locations in downtown Boston. I lived in Boston at the time. And so I just walked into one. I just walked into one and said, uh, I want a job. They didn't have a sign in the window or anything like that. I just walked in and I go, I want a job. And they're like, for what? I'm like, for selling. And they go, have you ever sold computers before? I'm like, no. And I'm like, all right, well, I think I can do it. And uh, this guy, Roger Lung, gave me a shot. Within 90 days, I was their number one salesperson. I sold Apple IIe's right? Which like are ancient. If you have one, don't sell it. It's got to be worth like tens of thousands of dollars. And then uh, 1983, the IPM PC came out and then uh, industry that did not exist uh, grew to a trillion dollar uh, industry and uh, lots and twists wow. and turns. Amazing business model where when we started, uh, the way you sold the uh, IBM PC is you put a shingle out in front of your retail store saying, we have IBM PCs in stock. Right. And then people would come in and they'd give you six grand as a deposit and you wait till the boxes came in in the back and then you'd call them up and deliver. And it was amazing because like, you know, how you got Google Sheets and you like use spreadsheets all the time. You're like, no one had ever seen a spreadsheet before. Right. I could make an account cry when I would like have a list of like 50 numbers and I would change something from a hundred to a thousand, right? Literally people would cry. They're like, Oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing. Ever. And, uh, it was all luck. The guy gave me a job and then, uh, Roger, he comes to me a year later. He goes, uh, I'm leaving. I'm like, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to a startup. I'm like, what's a startup? He goes, it's a young company that's going to grow quickly. 
I'm like, all right, knock yourself out. He goes, no, 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 I want to bring you with me. And I'm like, I already got a job because I'll pay you $1,500 more a year. I'm like, yeah, I'm a startup guy. Let's go. So I jumped to this company, Businessland, in uh, I think it was 1983. And okay. I became a top salesperson, then a sales manager, then a, a general manager, then an area director, and uh, worked in LA and San Francisco and Texas and uh, Boston. And uh, my last gig was in New York City. So I got, uh, I was the number one IBM PC customer in New York City. So I worked closely with IBM. It was awesome, super fun. And I got addicted to this hyper growth. And I realized all the way back then, we didn't call it culture, but I realized that like creating an environment that everybody could have fun with, that everybody was working together as a team where we uh, like rid ourselves of the whiners and complainers was the key to scaling business. Because when you're doing hyper growth, right, you don't have time for Debbie Downer. You don't have no. time for people to say you can't do that. You got time to focus on the prize, focus on your customer, focus on each other, right, and uh, do great things in the universe. And guess what? In 2020, that's still a plus. Love it. So I would say I probably have some things to learn from you from a sales perspective. Uh, you have a, a couple of years more experience than I do. And it's funny, one of the best SDRs I've ever known, she was selling door-to-door -door internet. And I asked her, I said, why, why do you feel like that was so, it helped you transition to inside sales? She said, because I got used to people slamming the door in my face. And it's awesome. so much easier to get told no over the phone, which so many people are kind of afraid of when they're getting it, into it's sales. Amazing. I frequently say that everything changed in 2007. My HubSpot experience was a seminal turning point in uh, my sales career. In the old days, there was classic Tommy Hopkins. He wrote a book called The Art of uh, Selling or The Art of Sales. And it was the Bible, right? And uh, back then, the salesperson was the center of the universe. And so the salesperson would uh, tell you about the product. They would qualify you right? They would give you a product demo, they would answer the objections, and they would bring you into the closing sequence. And that's how I learned how to sell books. And it's this is kind of interesting. I was a great bookseller. I had hair about the length that it is now, right? I was like 17 years old. I dressed in shorts and a t-shirt, and I carried my... Um, my uh, sales bag. I had two dictionaries in there, and I went everywhere. And I told everybody, no, I'm the book guy. I'm like, you don't shoot them around here, do you? And everybody was like, ah, that's pretty fun. And then I would, uh, I would like uh, make the ladies come out on the, uh, on the steps. Right. And uh, they would bring their kids with them. And it was amazing, right? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to come into your house. Like, that's a little bit too personal. Just come on out here, unless it's raining, right? And I would show them the books. And they were two dictionaries, um, like a junior one and an advanced one. And they had um, like sections in front for English and math and science and stuff. It's like a little mini encyclopedia. And the Southwestern organization just had it down. And these two things retailed for $40 right? And they wholesale for $20, right? And so I would show it to people and I'd be like, do you think you could like benefit from that? And they would say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My kid needs all the help they can get in school. Yeah, this seems like, remember, it's before the internet, right? Everybody's 22 years old who's listening to this podcast are going, what? What's this guy talking about? And uh, at the end, the, but that wasn't the sales process. That was just like showing them what the product was. At the end, they would say, I have to ask my husband. And I would say, oh no, that's what uh, Mrs. Ruffner said. And they'd be, excuse me? I'm like, do you know Miss Refner that lives across the street? And they're like, yeah. And she said, yeah, they, she was like uh, interested, but um, 
then she was thinking maybe she should ask her husband. But then she said, like, it's my kid's education. My husband is invested in my kid's education. Then, uh, like, there's a problem. And the lady I'm talking to goes, what do you mean? Mrs. Reffner bought one? I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and um, Mrs. Martinez down the street, she got two, one for each kid. Oh, and then Mrs. Tyre around the corner. Yeah, she got one for every one of her kids. And the people are like, okay, sign me up. Okay, just, and it, what it taught me is the power of social selling. It was amazing because it didn't matter, right? Uh, and then I would dump my, um, my receipts that I carried around all the time out of my sales box and I would show them. Oh, and they would want to look at it. They'd all want to see who bought, who didn't buy. And I tell them all proof. the story. Then, that, now here's the thing. Then they had to give me $20. I'm like, I need a deposit. And they're like, you just showed up on my doorstep 15 minutes ago. You want to give me $20? I'm like, yeah. And then they give it to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So uh, what a trip down memory lane. I don't know if this is <laughs> applicable to your podcast, folks, but it was that was super fun. And then, uh, so I applied the same thing in a startup um situation okay. uh focusing on the customer that's the key more so in 2020 than ever before focusing Absolutely. on my team and my customer and uh somebody in this thread that we were talking about that goes remember when you climbed up on that desk to motivate us and i'm like no i don't remember that they're like no you climbed up on a desk and i'm like okay that sounds like something i would do but i don't really remember that and they're like it was amazing we love the culture that you created and it was really dave norman enzo Terezi, murray dennis alan mcmillan all those folks combined to create a great place where people could come in and do their best work in the 80s and i always thought that that was the key to the company right is the culture of collaboration and working together to solve a big hairy problem for your customers so it's it's a good point because i <laughs> I forget who said it, but it's, you know, treat your employees well and treat your customers well and treating your employees well kind of ties into cultural. And so something on your LinkedIn really stands out as building the culture of personal responsibility and achievement. Um, and I know a lot of people have attested to that. You have done that. Um, let's kind of bring this a little bit more modern day relevancy in your experience at HubSpot. I don't think too many of our listeners will know what it's like to sell door to door, um, maybe dictionaries. So what was a, the kind of the, the defining moment at maybe HubSpot where you were like, I want to focus on culture, um, you know, and can kind of share a little bit about what culture meant, what you guys went through building that culture and, and how you've maintained that culture over the past 13 years through depressions and changes in technology and, you know, the world we live in today. Yeah, that's, it's a really good one. It's the crux of business, right? Uh, in the book that I wrote with Todd Ockenberry called The Inbound Organization, which published by Wiley, and the reason I wrote it is because everything changed in 2007 when I joined HubSpot. The way we run customer uh, companies, the way we focus on analytics, the way we focus on uh, culture. And I remember distinctly when uh, Mark, who is the vice president of sales, hired me as the first salesperson he, we had to hit our number, which was 10 deals per salesperson per month. And then we had to hire a salesperson every month, right? So there were like incremental growth where you had to hit your number and you had a plan for a buck. And we sat down and we're like, okay, what kind of sales organization are we going to have? And we talked about it. And um, like, once you hit three people, three like uh, distinct people, you're going to have some level of culture or politics. 
And so uh, we said, all right, what do we want to do? And I'm like, you know what? You ever work for Oracle? He's like, no. I go, you ever heard of anybody who worked for Oracle? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, what do you think? He goes, eh, that's not the kind of organization that I want to work for. I'm like, exactly. Everything an Oracle would do, let's do the exact opposite. Let's not be cutthroat. Let's work together and be collaborative. Let's make sure that everybody feels empowered. Let's build people's confidence. Let's have a diverse workforce. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that'll make sense. And then uh, um, Mark, who was super smart and who wrote the sales acceleration formula. Let me put in a plug for that. It's a, a super book. It's a good book. It's, it's, it's good awesome. Book. Right. He uh, said, all right, Tyre, like I've got to spend 60% of my time hiring people. And he did a damn good job. He got Catherine Durham and he got Adam Rubin and he got all these people who are still at HubSpot 12 years later. Julie Rosenberg, my friend, Kristen Kelly, and amazing. And my job was to make sure that everybody understood it's going to be hard. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out together. The only way you lose at HubSpot is uh, if you don't ask for help. And uh, we didn't call it culture back there. We just, we were a sales driven organization because we never missed our number. The great thing about HubSpot in the early days, right, uh, from the day that I started, which was uh, June of 20, 2007, we never missed our number. We went 27 and 0, 20, oh, two and a half years. We never hit our, uh, missed our number. And if we did, we would be like, oh my God, we can't miss our number. And uh, it gave uh, Brian and Darmes the ability to raise all the capital to prove the concept. Then it's a, it's a famous story at HubSpot. In 2010, uh, Brian went to a management offsite for area um, CEOs. And he met um, the CEO of iRobot. And they were sitting in a, like a breakout. And um, Brian's like, well, what are you working on? And the guy goes, culture. And uh, he's like, culture. And um, the, the CEO says, yeah, culture is very, very important. And so he, he asked him, Brian, what are you doing about culture? And he's like, nothing, I don't think. So it goes back to Darmesh, our scientist and, and co-founder. He goes, Darmesh, what do you know about culture? And Darmesh is like, I don't know anything about culture. So uh, Brian says, why don't you check into this culture thing? So Darmesh, who is like the Buddha and super smart, goes in and does 100 hours worth of um, uh, like research on culture, comes up with the HubSpot culture code. Have you ever okay. heard of that, Greg? Uh, yes, sir. It's pretty famous, actually, in the, the tech world. It's something I think a lot of companies seek to imitate or build culture that resemble, right? Yeah, it's the most downloaded SlideShare in the history of SlideShare. It permeates everything that we do. The HubSpot um, like culture code uh, is heart. Right. And uh, it has a specific um, like uh, attribute. It's humble, empathetic, remarkable adaptable and transparent and is critically important most people in 2020 want to work for a mission-driven organization that's one of the podcasts i did this morning right why do you work for a mission-driven organization that's not the question the question is why wouldn't you right yeah. don't you want to yeah. do something that's meaningful right and why do people come to work and hubspot has been unbelievable in establishing that culture and then enhancing that culture one of our big um like um, attributes of that culture is we have something called the M spot, which I uh, wrote about in the inbound organization. And the M spot is your mission, who you serve. That's the S and M spot. Your plays are your programs. Your T's are your target and your O's are your omissions. And everybody at HubSpot knows the HubSpot M spot. 
And if you go to www.inboundorganization.com, you'll see that uh, you can download an M-Spot template. You can create your M-Spot and then Todd and I will critique your M-Spot so that everybody in your organization knows what your mission is, knows what you're trying to do. And so everybody can be aligned behind what you're trying to like figure out. Right. The HubSpot um, M spot includes uh, I, D and B, uh, um, which is uh, diversity, inclusion and uh, belonging. Right. And um, like if you're selling to women, you better have women on your board of directors. I'm super proud of the fact that HubSpot has three women on our board of directors. We have a person of color on our board of directors. We keep track of our uh, diversity statistics. Right. And uh, we have these things called ERGs. You ever heard of an ERG, a um, employee resource group? I have not, no. Okay, so ERGs are for uh, hub spotters of color or uh, remote hub spotters or parent spots. If you're a tech person and you're worse, you, used to working every day of the week and then all of a sudden you have a baby, you can't work like the way you used to work. So we get something into um, these ERGs, uh, it's called parent spots where okay. people realize they got to leave the office at four o'clock. They got to understand that their family comes first. Right. And uh, it's just a great way. We have this lady, Megan Williams, who's unbelievable. She works for human resources, which is funny because I like her and I usually don't get along with human resources, <laughs> but she is like one of the most amazing people. She's dedicated to the remote workers of HubSpot. And she's done so many innovative things in the global pandemic. She has virtual water coolers where people show up and like on a Zoom and they just talk about stuff. She has pet day where everybody, you got to bring a pet. I don't know what That's happens awesome. if you don't have a pet. Maybe you have to like borrow a gerbil or something like that. <laughs> and then she has, um, she has world-class speakers that show up. And then we have this thing called a remote shuffle where it's a little technology widget that uh, every 30 days I get 30 minutes with somebody who's also a remote person. So I'm talking this morning, I was talking to my buddy, Patrick Hurst in New Orleans. Sometimes I'm talking to people in Austin. Sometimes I'm talking about people in North Carolina and uh, you start feeling that connection and that culture. And that's that critically important. Awesome. That is awesome. So those are some key takeaways. I think anybody that is kind of trying to figure out how to navigate this whole rem remote work from home situation. I know Atlassian just came out last week and said all their employees permanent work from home. And so these are definitely things people can, can take away. Um, yeah. I'm expecting my first son in like six days. And so I'll be a new parent trying to navigate kind of the startup life. And so I think, uh, I should definitely put some emphasis on figuring out how to make sure we, we have a it's culture gonna be here. Hard. It's going to be hard because I know you're a hard charging businessman. Guess what? Your son or daughter comes first, right? I never thought I would say that when I was 22. I'm like looking at these people with families going out. Oh, you guys are weak, right? And then after having two kids, which my beautiful wife, Amy, did most of the caretaking for, I'm like, no, wait a second, right? It's better off for the world for Greg to spend time with his beautiful wife, with his family. Right. Uh, uh, many times at HubSpot, I've seen people who are totally dedicated, totally into the HubSpot mission, and they're burnt out. Katie Burke, our chief people officer, who I, I, I don't know, she she understands my brain more than I do, which is saying something. And she's like, no, you're getting burned out in pandemic. She's saying to everybody, you got to take time off. And she said, if you see another HubSpotter who's burnt out, you send them home, not on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock. That's Dopey, send them home at 11 o'clock on Thursday, have them go in, kiss their wife or husband, 
take the kid and say, honey, you got the rest of the afternoon off. Oh, the first time that happened, the, the guy was in tears. He's like, what? I got all this stuff to do. I go, I don't care. Go home. Right. He went home at 11 o'clock. His wife was exhausted, of course. Wife was, I think she went to bed or had a nap or something like that. And then she realized she could like go to a movie or she could go. And that is the kind of full life that we want our employees to work. That guy was this motivated, right, for the next six years, right? And then we got him to take every Thursday off at two o'clock. Then his wife started expecting, it was the greatest thing ever. Stronger relationships, their little kid got to see their dad, like on a Thursday afternoons. Now he's like seven, eight or nine years old, right? But that's the kind of world that we wanna live in. That is the benefit that um, like um, tech companies have because yeah. it's a high value kind of process, right? That's one of the reasons you go into business for yourself, Greg, is so that you can spend time with your family. And I didn't realize that till I was like 58, but now I realize it. So now I'm on a mission to help. I love it. So I think something you just hit, hit, hit the nail on the head. Uh, have you ever read Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last? Of course. Simon okay. Sinek is a mighty guy. What's your why? I saw Simon Sinek at Inbound 2015 or so, and I'm like, this guy's got it, right? Yeah. And his leadership principles, right, are just an extension of like being a super thoughtful, empathetic human being. Right. Yeah. And I immediately yep. started following him and, he, and uh, I met him a couple of times. Great guy, super smart, right. Tremendous writer, great public speaker. I'm just a shameless fanboy. <laughs> That's well, I wouldn't say that, but leaders eat last. It really, I, ever since I read that book, I've always thought like you have to make your employees feel safe. You have to provide a safe space. And when you do provide that by looking at your employees as heart counts, not head counts is pretty famous part of one of his Ted talks. They, they feel empowered and confident and they're okay going home at two o'clock and spending time with their family. They're okay shutting down their email at the end of the day and not being on email till midnight, which I find myself doing more of now that I'm permanently working from home and yeah, so creating that culture. Here's the deal. This is the, uh, 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 it's a very, very good point. Your employees don't do what you tell them to do. Your employees do what you do. Right. And therefore, you have to walk the walk. If you do not do that, if you say we're an inbound organization, my uh, co-author Todd has a famous quote, right? Um, to do inbound, you have to be inbound, right? If you're mean to your employees, that's the big debate, right? We did uh, hundreds of interviews for the book and we say, what's more important, your customers or your employees? And how would you answer that one, Greg? Uh, employees, 100%. Why? Why? Uh, it's I don't know. I guess it's common sense. Like treat your employees well, and then they'll treat your customers well. It's not common sense. Uh, Sixty percent said customers come first, and I'm like, no, no, no. If you don't have happy employees, you're never going to have have happy customers. And if you're not treating your employees right, they're going to leave, right? And so employees come first, right? Frank Osher, who is the CIO of HubSpot's quote in the book, said, "Do you like? Do you love your wife? Do you love your mother?" Which there's some of that, but you got to love your wife more, right? Because your employees are the only way you can deliver an extraordinary customer experience. And that means you have to spend time, effort, and money. That means when you send that employee home on Thursday at two o'clock, you're building a bond of loyalty, that you're helping him out. You're saying that this is just like business. There's something more important than your life 
then um, like just getting promoted. And that was an epiphany for me at 57. So I've dedicated my life to trying to help people realize that a little bit earlier, right? I, I think it's a little bit different for your generation. I think that you understand that your kid needs you at home, right? Not needs you to like build a successful company. Needs them, you have to teach them how to hit a curveball. You have to teach like he has to sit on your lap. He has to be able to smell you. He has to throw up all over you. That's part of the parent bonding experience. You got to teach him how to walk. You've got to show him strong relationships with your beautiful wife. You've got to do all of those things. That's the like that's the secret of life, right? Having strong relationships and working together, right? So that the next generation are a strong, well-balanced human beings. Hundred percent. Maybe that ties into something I want to talk about. Is main? We're talking about maintaining culture, and culture is difficult to build. Um, I would say it's not impossible, but it's definitely challenging. What is like the one thing? If you had to say, this is the one thing that any co- company needs to have in place to be able to set themselves up for success with a long-term trust, trusting kind of yeah. unselfish mentality. Yeah. Well, first of all, not everybody believes that. I, uh, in the consulting work that we do for the Inbound organization, we say, well, what's your mission? They're going to make a lot of money. I'm like, that's not really a mission. They're like, no, that's what we want to do. I'm like, okay, you're going to tell your employees that that's the mission that you want them to do is to make you and the owners a lot of money. I'm like, that doesn't quite pass my stiff test. And like, I've seen some unbelievable ones, a furniture uh, company, they're selling furniture. You're like, what's the mission in that? They go, no, no, no. Our mission is to make sure that our customers have the best physical uh, environment to produce their best work. I'm like, yeah, that's the furniture company I want to work for. Yeah. And, and those guys thought that out. They're like, no, 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 it's not a furniture company. We do sell furniture, right? But what we really want to do is make our customers and our employees' lives better by having a beautiful esoteric surrounding where they can do their best work. I'm like, that is, I'm gonna use that example a million times because that is a great one, right? So the first thing is you've gotta decide you wanna do it. The second thing is you've gotta be overt in telling people, this is our culture. I strongly recommend people have their own culture code. You can take the HubSpot culture code or you can build your own, right? Heart is kind of good, right? It like is an acronym, it makes sense, right? Yeah. But do your own, right? And uh, make sure that people know. And then what will you do is you define your employee persona. Lots of people understand their customer persona and ideal customer profile. But we urge in the book, you go ahead and you build your employee persona. This is the kind of person that does very well here. Number one, right? They're personally responsible. Number two, they work hard. Number three, they're smart. Number four, they want to collaborate. There are some people, they're very good people, right? They just don't want to collaborate. They want to work on their own, right? They may not be a good fit for your culture. Number five, they're customer oriented. And if you're very obvious about the attributes that you're looking for, if you publish it on your website, if you make people read it in the interview process and say, what do you think about that? Right. Then it goes a long way towards ensuring that you're attracting and retaining the right kind of employees so that you can fulfill your dream of having the kind of culture that you envisioned when you started as an entrepreneur. So that's uh, that's such a good point. It's hire, hiring for, for fit and not necessarily skill. Right? Especially you're, you're... if you're a startup. Yeah. Right. Uh, the great thing about me is employee number six at HubSpot. I took that very seriously. I did everything at HubSpot and continue to. I got five jobs at HubSpot now because four isn't enough. And I love it. Right. And I'm in the office. People make fun of me. Right. Uh, I've done fairly well financially. 
Uh, but I am in the office at seven o'clock every day when I'm in Cambridge. And uh, I watch the people come in and they look at me like I'm a, like a Neanderthal. They're like, you're an alien. What are you doing here at seven o'clock in the morning? I'm like, that's the way I roll, right? We started this company as an entrepreneurial company. We may have 4,000 employees now, still the same to me, right? I got one speed, always on. I'm always 10, right? That's the blessing <laughs> and it's a curse if you're my wife. That's the one thing in global pandemic. Like, can you imagine spending seven by 24 with this Dan Tyre energy? Right. Uh, it, I don't think I could, Dan. My wife made me move to a tent in the backyard. She's like, oh, oh my. God. And my daughter, <laughs> my 22 year old daughter's like, dad, she gives me this finger. She goes, dad, not today. Whenever I see her in the kitchen. Uh, good news is she's in Boston. So I don't see her in the kitchen that often. But <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, like understanding and uh, making sure you're explicit with the expectation of this is what we want to do, right, is an important part of scaling that culture. And your early employees, like they do have to have some functional knowledge, but they have to understand that growing a company is hard. In the old days, like starting a company was hard. No one started a company. When I started my second company, I raised $400,000. And 250,000 of it went to Microsoft and Dell so I could set up email for my employees. Email, right? And then my buddy, Matt Sherman, Matt with one T, just started a company in, uh, in Arizona. I'm like, Matt, uh, how much did it cost you to start your company? He goes, $50. The state of Arizona really rips you off. I'm like, Matt, $50? And he's got all of the free stuff and he's scaling like crazy. I'm a huge man. He's a great writer. Right. And now it's not starting a company, it's scaling a company. What's the yeah. key to scaling a company? Get the right people. How do you get the right people? You say, this is the kind of company that I want to start. I've always told people that I don't care what HubSpot sells, could sell orange lawnmowers. But if we had the same kind of uh, uh, like feeling in our heart, the same way of helping folks, the same way of figuring out smart data um, driven analytics of how to provide good customer satisfaction, we'd get the same result. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that brings us to the last couple of topics I want to talk about real quick, Dan. And so I think one of the things that was has been interesting is my previous company, I had a team and we had a re remote work from home policy. And the, the ability to work remote was always something that was kind of like, hey, you've earned that right. You've hit your number. You've, you've proven your ability to do X, Y, Z. Um, now it's everybody's remote. And so do you feel like that with this change, sales reps are even more successful in a remote environment? Or do you feel like maybe we've lost some productivity? What's been your, your experience? Ooh, great question. It actually depends on the um, salesperson, right? Not everybody's going to make the leap because it's different, right? Lots of people were employed because they had funny jokes or they looked nice or they made good coffee in the office. That's not the way it works anymore right? HubSpot has the data and statistics for many of our um, divisions, right? People remote outperform people in the office. And you're like, how could that be? Wait a second. And it's easy, right? Being the first remote employee at HubSpot, I always had a competitive advantage because I was up at 530 in the morning selling to the East Coast, could go all the way till like six o'clock at night selling into Hawaii. No one else could do that, right? Yep. And um, like today, uh, remote salespeople outperform people who are associated with an office environment by 13%. Why? Because it was what you said. First of all, we hire the right people and they are super motivated to succeed. If you get into HubSpot, you got to be an A player, right? We take less, uh, like it's harder to get into HubSpot than MIT or Harvard. 
right? Statistically, right? So we know if you get in, you're got all of the attributes. Number two, the big issue is like working too hard, right? That's why Katie Burke has to say, step away from your PC, go walk around the house, go like uh, put on pants, which have you noticed, I don't know if you're wearing pants, but I have not worn pants since February. Right? Uh, I've worn gym shorts, I think every day for the past like six months. Yeah. Right up. And the other thing is personal hygiene definitely takes a back seat in a global pandemic. I, right? don't, know wife, about, I don't know about that. I don't know. Amy's like, when was the last time you took a shower? Right. And I'm like, man, you don't really want to know. Right. It's like at least a monthly occurrence for me anyway. And she's like, you're disgusting. The good news is I got a hot tub. So it's a little bit different, but like, um, it's different. You've got to understand, you've got to build that trust. You got to make sure that you're communicating. Your one-on-ones are a little bit different, right? You got to look people in the eye really close into that so you can understand their body language. And you got to tell them, right? If you got an issue, you got to raise your hand. Because as I was a remote manager in uh, at HubSpot in the 2012 time, uh, my team was in Boston and I was in uh, Phoenix. And I was a huge competitive advantage, not because I couldn't teach them, but if they were pissed off, I didn't know. So I had to tell John Sullivan when uh, Morgan gets into one of his snits, you got to let me know. And back then it wasn't Slack, it was hip chat. But you tell me. And then I would ping uh, Morgan out of the blue and like, Morgan, why are you in a bad mood? And he's like, how do you know that? What's going on? He'd be like looking at his PC like I had a little camera behind him. Or something. <laughs> Who told you that? And I'm like, uh, and that's the key is, is, is sales is 99% mental. Yeah. And if people feel the reason culture is so important in a sales team, if people feel like they're supportive, they feel like their uh, manager has their back. I have a great manager in my mentor program, uh, Mintus Hankerson, and uh, she's never missed her number, right? And uh, she's been in the position for seven months. And she's like, Dan, the key is to build trust and make sure that your salespeople know you always have their back. And I'm like, that's such a beautiful thing. She's an amazing, super smart, like, a thoughtful, empathetic sales manager in the small business division in North America. She and I write blog articles together and she's like, no, that's the key. You got to win their hearts and minds. And if you do that, and if they know you have, the, they'll do anything for you. Right. And um, like her recent performance definitely approves. It. Yeah. Be a, be a servant leader, right? You work for your team. They don't work for you. And that's uh, amazing what happens when you take and really embody that mindset. Yeah, that's David Cancel from Drift. The CEO of Drift is a, a buddy of mine and worked at HubSpot, really did a great job of uh, getting the technology for us. And now he's always been a, a, an outspoken leader of servant leadership, which I had never heard of that concept before, uh, David. And he's written extensively about it. It's completely consistent with my philosophy. And the reason we're doing this podcast, the reason you're doing it is you want to help people. Right. Yep. And the reason I'm willing to help Greg Refner is because you're willing to help other people. And the more, there are lots of good people out there. Right. And you got this idea for a cool company and uh, anything I can do to help. I'm all in. I appreciate it. Well, with that, sir, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up with any final thoughts. I'd love to get kind of maybe the two or three takeaways, Dan, that you would like our listeners to walk away from in terms of really what they can do to maintain that culture in a remote environment where the rules have kind of changed a little bit? What are those top three things that people can take action on today to make sure that we, we all persevere and come out of this stronger? Yeah. So a couple of things, make sure you increase the frequency of connection. 
right? Make sure you got Slack or a way that I can, or a text this so I can make sure that you and I are on the same page all the time. Every business is a people business. Every, like people say, no, that's not the way it works. It's, this is a relationship business. I'm like, oh, who are you kidding? Every business is a relationship business. So you and I have to build trust. And all my one-on-ones, I cycle in, I'm like, Greg, how are you doing? Right. And I'm not listening to what you say. I'm listening to your body language. I want to see if your shoulders slump, if you look the other way, if you look at your shoe. And then if I don't think you're having a good day, I'm like, looks like the big dog ate you today. Right. Let's, let's move this to another time when we can have a substantive cut or what's wrong. Right. Because I want you to know, I'm, I deeply care and understand about what you're um, like talking about. Right. Then uh, I always remind people four times a year, do we have high trust? And that's a very interesting question because in any relationship, professional or personal, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. And I've written for Inc. Magazine and a variety of different blog articles that trust is the key to this relationship. So I go, what happens if I lose your trust? And their eyes get bit. I'm like Dan Tyre. You don't want to tell Dan Tyre. I go, say it. They say, say what? I go, say, Dan, you've lost my trust. And they're like, now, it's a hard thing to say. say. Now? I'm like, yeah, say it now, right? Which is kind of my thing, pretty direct. And they're like, Dan, you lost my trust. I'm like, see, you said it once. Next time it happens, right? It's it, it happens periodically, right? I could do something not on purpose, but if we lose trust, I need to know that. And you need to articulate because trust is everything. And then I make them prepare for our one-on-ones. I'm like, you send me the three things you want to talk about, right? And then we always start with the three things they had last week. And then we go through their three things. And like, that's the way I roll, the law of three. I can't think of more than three things at once. I make my one-on-one people do all the notes. We have continuity between one and the next. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I'm in your corner, right? The magic words, I need help. The only way you lose an upspot or any of our portfolio companies, if you need help, you don't ask for it, right? That's hard. And then uh, we'll work together. We'll have a boatload of fun, right? If you're an introvert, I won't yell at you. Right, I'm a big believer in management uh, in uh, personality style. Right, lots of. Well, well, I'm an introvert, and you've been yelling at me for the past 44 minutes, Dan. I know that's got to be annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We wouldn't be having this conversation at this decibel level, right? You asked for the big energy in the briefing. I did. I I, uh, you don't even have to bring it. Dan just brings the big energy, and I just I can I can tone it way down if you want the college professor, Dan. No, that's boring, Dan. I don't want that. Lots Dan. of spaces, multi-syllable words. Uh, I asked I all my public presentations. Do you want me to the college lecturer? They're like, no, I want that crazy man who yells at us and says dopey <laughs> things. Uh, well, with that, we appreciate your time, sir. And uh, I really am thankful that you were willing to uh, share some of your experiences and some of your best practices and kind of some lessons learned along the way. And hopefully our listeners can take some actions out of that. Awesome. That was great. Great. Congratulations on the podcast. Good luck with the new company. And I'm all in. Anything I can do to help you, let me know. Cool. Thank you, sir.